Welcome to the Tradies Business Show with Warwick Bidwell. Talking business ownership, the nuts and bolts and everything in between. G'day listeners, Was here with you again, been a little while since an episode and uh, I've got a couple of really cool ones to rack up and uh, and get into your ears Today's chat is, it's an interesting one actually, and some of my episodes lately have been going a little longer because we're, we're digging into, I guess, some of the business people that I'm interviewing more than just their products or services is what makes them tick, what some of their big lessons have been, and doing that in the hope that sharing that with you will somehow inspire or motivate or educate you to make some change and, uh, and to run your business a little better. So uh, today's guest who you'll hear from is an interesting bloke. Uh, (laughs) I reckon we could have chatted for about three hours today. Michael Boltman from Brenniston First Aid. They're uh, one of Australia's leading first aid equipment suppliers. Um, So they have some pretty big accounts around the country. They deal with Officeworks and some of those big companies. Uh, Australian-made products, family company. Um, but there's an interesting sort of background to it, and they started from some very, uh, very different beginnings, and um, very successful business now, and big plans for the future. But uh, yeah, Michael's uh, he's got some interesting insights for you today. Have a listen all the way to the end, and look, dare I say it, if you want to uh, scrub the little uh, time bar along to the last. 15 minutes if you don't have time for the whole episode go ahead and do that because he does hit you with some truth bombs it's a couple f-bombs in there too uh and some fantastic knowledge so um have a listen to michael boltman uh keen to have a chat to him again down the track a little bit and uh and he's also going to give us one of his products uh, as a giveaway so stick around till the end of the episode or go check us out uh, at tradiesbusinessshow.com and find the episode there and we'll give you the uh, the details on how you can get some free stuff. So tune in and enjoy. So joining me today on this episode of the Tradies Business Show is a man by the name of Michael Boltman and uh, he's at the helm, well at half of the helm I suspect with his wife Pia, uh, of Brenniston First Aid. So uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. My pleasure, my pleasure. Now uh, I did get a bio which um, I refuse to read because, uh, as I always say with my guests, I I don't like when people read my bio out because they make it sound really boring and I'm much more exciting than they make me sound. So, uh, mate, give us the exciting version of, of yourself and uh, how you've come to be at the, the head of Brenniston First Aid. The, the exciting version, um, I guess, of our story is that um, we, about 18 years ago, um, my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife and mother of another two children, so we've got three all together, um, was pregnant. And everyone said, well, you know, you can't just work three months of a year. You you really need to do, you need to get serious. And so we got the Age newspaper out and we looked through it and there was an advertisement for a business that had lost, I don't know, a million or more dollars and uh, we thought, oh, that's an ethical business. Why don't we go and buy it? <laughs> and we did the receivership and we went to the receivers and we made them an offer and they went, don't be ridiculous. Um, 
So we upped it a little bit. And we obviously didn't pay any goodwill, but we paid for some of the, you know, a little bit of stock and some of the bits and pieces, but it had no, there was no lease, there was no phone system, there were, no one wanted to buy from us, no one wanted to sell us any product. And we had to do things like um, take money, get a bank check made out to the supplier, take that to their bank, put it into their bank, get a, uh, you know, the receipt from the bank um, and then fax that to us before they'd even supply us. So that was 18 years ago and we're still doing it and it took about six months before anyone turned around and went, then actually you guys are doing what you said you were going to do um, and we've been doing this now for a long time a completely stupid thing to do to take over a business that's broke and no one wants to deal with but we didn't we were too stupid to know at the time and particularly given we were also writers and filmmakers before that I was going to so, ask you about that well neither of us had actually ever had jobs so <laughs> not real jobs anyway mate. not real jobs with <laughs> projects but Funnily enough, the thing about when you're a freelancer and you're doing a job, it's a bit like a tradie in a sense, is that you do a job and you do good work and then someone says, oh, well, you know, why don't you go and talk to so-and-so or someone said you did a job for someone and you did this project, whatever it happened to be, and then you get more work. Mm -hmm. But the thing about what it's like, the comparison with the tradie is that even if you're a writer and you do a job and you write an article or a, for a magazine or a newspaper or something, you submit it and they go, oh, yeah, that's we really like that, and they put it in the, in the, um, in the paper or the magazine. And then, like a tradie, you've got to have cash flow because it's going to take you at least 90 days for them to actually send you a check. Mm. And you've got the same problem that tradies have is, is that people don't always want to pay you on time. Yeah, yeah, because so they're not got, getting paid on time. Because they're not getting paid on time. So you've got all of those same issues that occur with small business um, when you're doing that. And part of the reason why we wanted to, uh, why we bought the business was not because, yes, it was an ethical business, but it was more we needed a structure in our lives that we would, and I also only wanted a business that was five days a week. I didn't want to work on weekends um, uh, having children. I mm. wanted to be able to spend time with the children. And so we basically, we had some idea of how to survive, um, but yeah, it became this thing that we did. So you guys never owned a business before working as creatives, like writers. In, in um, What were you actually doing? Well, I was sort of writing for all sorts of people and doing a bit of advertising and Pierre was – and plus doing some film work, oh, yeah. um, making short films and doing little animatics and doing things for – um, film festival trailers and all sorts of stuff like that. And Pierre was making short films 
and she ended up working for the ABC doing furry creature films, natural history films, and then, <laughs> right. then doing um, work at the planetarium, making films on the dome um, with people. And, yeah, we just did stuff that was interesting. So, uh, you know, you've talked a bit about the decision to, to take on the business. Um, perfect time to start it, you know, when it's going broke and no one wants to deal with you, obviously. Uh, mate, it sounds like it was probably a fairly steep learning curve. Would that be? Look, it is a very steep learning curve. And I think probably the hardest thing to do was staff there were almost no staff left because when the business was booming it it had you know probably 20 15 or 20 staff and when we took it over there was one guy who ended up resigning after a couple of weeks who who was an alcoholic that we found in his apartment we had there were maybe three other people and that was it everyone else had bailed jump ship some of them had gone over to our opposition and taken a whole lot of the business and you know we had we had one big contract or the business had one big big contract which was office works and we had to go and do a presentation and we had no clothes so i had to borrow a, a jacket borrowed a tie i think off my father-in-law put that on nothing fitted and we convinced them that and we thought the woman was very scary. And we did this presentation, gave them all of these ideas about, you know, you can do this and you can do that. And anyway, they kept us on and we're still there after 18 years. That's impressive, mate. That's impressive. At them. And we've picked up lots of other businesses, like we look after the fire brigade now for all of their first aid and mm. um, emergency equipment. We look after lots of um, large organisations, SES, and um, we've just produced really good quality Australian-made product. Yep. Um, and I wish the things that I would have loved to have known then was like how to say no. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you about some of the, the lessons. You know, often we ponder if we could go back and not do things differently, but just if we knew then what we know now kind of stuff. So I was going to dig into that with you, Michael. Well, focus. focus. Like being able to focus on what you do and what you do really well. So now our focus is first aid. We don't do boots mm. because when you sell someone a boot, people don't know what size shoe they wear. So they say they're a size 8. You supply them a boot. It turns out that they're actually a size 9, and by the time you've gone through and swapped everything out, you've lost any of the margin that you possibly could have had. So mm. what we, what the business was was a first aid business, yep. and so that's what we focus on. We focus on the fact that we're Australian-made, Australian-designed and produced, that we're a family business because the business, when we – it had been a family business, but when we took it over – um, the guys who'd run it were only for 14 months. They bought the business. One was a plumber and one was a, uh, an accountant and they destroyed it in 14 months. Yeah, but right. we, we took it over. We were a family. We 
were husband and wife team. We had one child and now we've got three teenagers. Um, so what does a family business mean? Well, the family is has all of these values attached to it that you look after mm. not just your family, but you look after all of your staff. And we've got a couple of dozen staff now. And we pride ourselves on, despite the fact that people keep doing things to you that you don't particularly um, enjoy. And like someone left today who'd been with us that we loved and she loved working here, but she had this dream to work in um, quilting. And so she's gone off to do a part-time job in quilting. Okay, that's fine. Um, But that's part of family is you've got to allow people who to do the things that they really want to do yeah um where you know you employ a younger person maybe and all they want to do is go off and travel and so Mm. you might only have them for a year that's the reality of business today you can't people aren't going to be there for 50 years you know at christmas last year two people who'd been with the business for over 20 years finally retired and i'm like how can they retire? I don't care if they're 70 or 72 years old of age. That, that they, They're important to the business. <laughs> they're not allowed to retire, damn it. They've got to stay. How can they possibly do that? But that's the nature of what happens. And there's nothing, you know, you can't change human nature. Have you always they, been, have you always taken that view, Michael? Oh, uh, Pretty much, I have. Like, you know, there, there are things that happen early on in the business where people would come to you with, you know, serious problems that they were facing in their life and you kind of going, I have no idea what to do or I'm not, maybe you need to go and talk to, you know, a psychologist or a psychiatrist about how to deal with the problems your children are having because, like, I've never had that experience and I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. But you constantly have those sort of issues and you do the best you can. There's nothing more you can do in terms of trying to help people, whether it's health issues or they have, you know, and you like in a family, you're always going to have people who have problems with other people within the business. Yeah. Because... People are people and there's, you know, they're, they're, I, you know, I don't know what it is that they might have an issue with. It doesn't really matter. But they're always going to have these issues and it's how do you try and get them to think about things bigger than themselves and bigger than the business itself and bigger than money that they have a purpose that they want to do to be the best that they possibly can be. And often people are not interested in that. All they want to do is just earn money sometimes and go home and deal with whatever they have to deal with at the particular stage of life that they might happen to be in at that point. So how how do you deal with that then as as their employer if they won't engage with that bigger-than-me scenario? And just want to make a wage. Oh, well, eventually those people do drop off and they leave. Yep, yep. Um, Because you have an expectation that 
you want people to be better. You know, you want one plus one equals three. Mm. You don't want just to employ someone in a role. You want people to be able to help. So, you know, for years I never, you know, said, no, you can't take holidays this week. I would always say to them, no, you have to go and talk to everyone else and make sure everyone else is happy and no one else is taking that week off so we can still operate. I mean, now these days we do ask people to put in a request so that because we've got overview mm. of many more people and we also know what's, you know, that there might be a big job coming or yeah. there's some issue and we need to. There's strategic considerations, but, but yeah. I like that mode of, of actually pushing that responsibility back to the team member and rather than sitting in that, you know, dictatorial type role where it's like you may not take holidays on these dates. It's you can take them whenever you like as long as everyone else is happy. Yeah. Um, I, I've always had the attitude that people are adults and I expect people to act like adults. Um, it's a nice dream, mate. <laughs> I know it's a dream. I mean, the, the, the classic is, I don't know if you've ever read Derek Sievers or know of him. I've heard the name, he wrote, but I don't know why. Uh, he started a business called CD Baby. Ah, yeah. The reason why he started it was he was a musician. And the problem he always had was that he'd go to these big, you know, music publishers, Sony and all of those, and they weren't interested in independent music. So he started publishing his own music and putting it out there. And then other people started coming to him and everyone was shocked. But the thing was was that he was working I think in the university library or something like that and he got to the point where he didn't have time to work there anymore so he went and got someone else who he thought would be really good at the job trained them up for a week and then took them into his boss and said look I've trained this guy up he can take over from me he's really good and the guy goes no that's not the way it works like I'm supposed to employ the person yeah. who is going to take that job and you shouldn't be doing this. And yeah. he goes, yeah, but he's really good at it. <laughs> he goes, I thought that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to make sure that everything's going to keep going rather than just tell you, look, see you later, I'm out of here. Yeah. And that was the attitude he brought to CD Baby when he did it. And he ended up selling it for, I think, $21 million and donated all of the money to charity mm. timothy ferris talks about that idea of uh you know working yourself out of your role almost by stealth in the four-hour work week and, and on his podcast of yeah finding even outsourcing your own job so that you don't have to do it so that you can transition from being an employee to you know running your own life running your own company whatever that might be but uh well i've sort of pretty much done that because my staff won't let me have anything to do with day-to-day -day activities. Like they really don't like me talking to customers because they think I'm going to give them a really complicated solution. <laughs> to the and if you thought about this and you could do that blah, 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 and go off into some world. <laughs> so, um, you know, my, my role as I see it is, is that now it's very much about being, I guess, a motivator and a, a to provide direction and I said to talk to people about what they're doing to try and get them to be better um, versions 
of themselves. So, um, so was there a was there a defining moment in the business where you made that transition from? Uh, and and I'll put some words in your mouth here and, and tell me if I'm on the wrong path. But the everything man, uh, or you know the everything people as business owners tend to be, to embracing your role as I guess the the leader in the business. I know it's very cliche in um, business management, but really leading a team of people that run the business. Uh, there hasn't been a defining moment, given that tomorrow morning our driver is unable to take the van out um, tomorrow. So tomorrow morning I'll go out and I'll do deliveries. Nice. So just because... Um, but that's a strategic decision for you to go and visit some customers, isn't it? <laughs> I'm kidding, mate. <laughs> no, that's because otherwise on Monday when he comes in, he's going to be overwhelmed by the level of work. And yes, it is a really good opportunity and I'll take that opportunity to go out and see customers you know when I can yeah in that role because people don't realize that I'm the owner of the company and I can you know I'm wearing like you wearing a you know I might be wearing a singlet and a high-vis vest and steel cap boots and they think I'm just a driver and when you ask them questions about level of service you get really honest responses yeah, yeah. And it's an absolute delight when you get this response saying you know your sales people people are unbelievable and your driver's always so polite and you know we we rang up yesterday and you're delivering today and you know that you're doing a good job is fantastic and it's good to hear that and it's also good when someone says yeah look you know i really didn't like when da 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 then you can come back and you can go well you can fix that problem so yeah. you've got to have that face to face on a regular basis but in terms of where the business is going, like we're just in the process on Tuesday, I think we launch a new website and we also have changed our logo mm -hmm. and we've changed our tagline of what the business represents because okay. we've gone from, you know, we created probably four or five years ago a tagline that said making Australia safer, mm -hmm. but really what our job is to make your workplace a safer place. So mm. it's being much more niche, much more specific, because we can't compete against all of these people who bring product in from China and sell it as a $10 family kit yeah. or as $10 this kit or a yeah. $50. We can't compete against those people providing that Australian-made where you guarantee the level of quality of the product let them worry about that stuff that's not what we do what we do is we make sure that our job is to make their workplaces a safer place with high quality product that you know we're family owned and quality is important and we create created this thing called the uh, Brenniston national standard because finally the federal government got every other state together because um, every state in Australia was had their own rules and regulations. Right. And the Australian government put together this thing called Safe Work Australia. And after they did that, we created this range of first aid kits under the banner of the Brenniston National, National Standard and we created a shield. Hmm. And that shield is now actually 
going to be our logo because someone was looking at our kits and going, how come you guys have got two logos on your kits? And the, the thing about business is the only businesses that thrive and survive are ones that simplify. Mm-hmm. You've got to make things really easy for people because people don't have time anymore. Yeah. No one's got time to, like, you know, when, when you look at how many, you know, there's 168 hours in a week, you really do need to sleep some of them. You need to exercise. You need to read. You need to think. You need to spend time with your kids. You need to spend time with your wife. You need to, you know, do stuff. Like, who's got time to read, you know, huge screeds of information and even little things like, like you know, people now make emotional decisions about what they're going to buy not even by reading, but by looking at the typeface, by looking at the colour, by looking at your logo and deciding if they're the sort of people that you want to buy from. And the ones who don't like it, well, they're not going to buy from you anyway. So you're trying to get your tribe out there to decide that these are the values that we hold to be true. Mm. Um, Here's the the method, here's the, the things we're doing. Let's not confuse people by having, you know, four different typefaces. Let's just have one. Let's mm. just have one logo. Let's tell people what our story is in as simple a method as possible. And I think that when you start to look at, you know, the great businesses out there, these are the things that they're doing. Mm. So and it's taken us a long time to get to that point where you can actually go, oh, if we do this, this would really make things a lot easier. And the same things on a website. It's like if you make it really difficult for people to buy from you, they're just going to go, I'll go somewhere else. Too hard. I don't have to do this shit. Yep, exactly. And it's, yep. it's, it's amazing how many businesses still make it hard for their customers to buy from them and get service from them. It's phenomenal. Absolutely. So the number of businesses, big businesses, that still don't do online communication. You know, you have to ring them up and sit on hold for 10 minutes to wait to talk to a person who transfers you to another department. And it's not just Telstra. But uh, but it's not even that you can ring them up and talk to someone. You're on a rotary dial system where you press one for this, four for that, and then you go through eight layers of that information. And still get the wrong department. <laughs> to say that someone's, you know, fraudulently put something on your credit card. Yeah, yeah. So how and when did you learn all this stuff? Like have you guys um, gone and found a magical textbook somewhere where you've implemented all of this or has there been some other way that you've figured all this stuff out in business? We failed a lot. Yeah, you, you just keep falling on your face. And it's, it's, it's such a good point because so many uh, successful people, quote-unquote, talk about that same thing is is embracing failure and failing forward and you know there's been a million and one books written about it um what did that look like for yourself and pia like what did that failure like if you keep banging your head against a brick wall it (laughs) It bleeds eventually mate. it bleeds and it's really uncomfortable and you think that hold on i'm a reasonably smart guy I can read, I can write, I can do arithmetic. You know, why 
is this not working? Or, you know, I've got this fantastic idea. I'll go out there and, and do that. And sometimes it works and it works for a while and then it stops working and you go, well, I don't know why it stopped working, but it just did. So what, what was what were some of your biggest cock-ups in business, mate, if you're willing to share? Um, there, there's been a lot of them. <laughs> Have you got any favourites? <laughs> or ones you wish you'd rather forget? No, there have been some fun ones where, you know, you think, you think you've got this unbelievable product that is just going to, you know, be amazing. And it, it, like we've done lots of them where, where you try something. Like one was um, I, I swim, I used to swim at a, a pool and often I'd go there during the day, middle of the day, go for a quick swim, and I'd be driving back and forward down a particular street and there was a thing from the Wiggles advertised on the building and I kept going, you know what, it would be great to have that Suns- the Wiggles really need to do sunscreen. <laughs> and eventually my peer turned around to me and went, either do something about it or shut up. <laughs> so I rang them up and they said, that's a fantastic idea. And I went and created this whole thing in sachets and we put it out there. And that actually saved us for about a year and a half, two years for a couple of seasons and it was great to do because our kids absolutely loved the Wiggles. Yeah. And for a period of time and young parents or parents of young children will know that basically the video or DVD goes in constantly and all you're doing is, you know, hot potato, hot potato, ad nauseum, yep. and you're driving in the car actually singing Wiggles songs <laughs> at a certain point <laughs> with your children. But then, you know, the, the supermarkets who were the chains that had taken it just turned around and went, oh, no, we've decided not to do that anymore. And you just, like, it stops. Yeah. And we've done that with, you know, we did temperature te- fever monitors for kids. And we've done ones, one was um, I thought that there was going to be a huge market for um, fatigue management. And I got involved with this group that was this system where you'd plug in how many hours you'd worked, how much sleep you'd had, and we went out and we talked to all sorts of large manufacturers and I'd invested money in the distribution and invested money in, you know, all product and I'd printed all this material and I'd done all of that and it went absolutely nowhere. We sold a few, gone, disappeared. Um, how, how do you bounce back from those things, Michael? You just got to keep going. You just got to keep working. And it's I've been doing a bit more reading again lately. I sort of fell off my reading bandwagon for a while, but uh, I read a couple of great books. Um, Mark Manson, which is a bestseller, obviously, and it's everywhere. Uh-huh. The Subtle Art. Yep. Um, yeah, Subtle Art. Giving a fuck. Yeah, he's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. There's a few guys like him writing about this, uh, well, what I think is the reality of life, that life's pretty shit a a proportion of the time, and we all get a lot of stuff wrong a lot of the time. And, you know, the whole positive thinking movement 
over the years has probably denied some of those facts, uh, and I don't think it served a lot of people very well. It's easy, I guess, for for someone like me on this podcast and even talking to you, you know, listeners might be thinking, well, of course he can say that, you just got to keep going. He's already successful, he's already making a ton of money, he's got one of Australia's biggest, if not the biggest, you know, first aid supplies company. But how do you go about doing that, mate? Say we're we're the biggest. Um, <laughs> okay, just, just the best stop. then. <laughs> best, I'll take. Um, <laughs> look, you know, you 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 think you just got to try and do the best possible job that you can do. And yes, there are times when you think, "Oh my God, what the hell am I doing?" You've got to break through it somehow, and you can't. You don't break through it with positive thinking. You know, I brought into Australia um, a, a defibrillator that I was convinced was going to, you know, at the right price, was this thing that weighed 490 grams. It was the size of a pen, and I was convinced that every, um, uh, you know, every baby boomer was going to keep one in the car and one at home, and, you know, we're going to sell thousands of them. Mm. We were going to sell thousands of them. And, you know, I, I bought – and th- these are not cheap items. And I brought them from a company that, you know, based in Switzerland. Mm. Um, we brought them out to Australia and we marketed it and worked on it and worked on it. And our first contract was we had to sell over a certain number in the first year. Mm-hmm. And we'd done all of this work. And then the distributor turned around and said – well, you didn't sell 500 units in the first year, so we're taking the distribution back. <laughs> Jeez. And you're just like, okay, well, <laughs> what do you do? We've got to go and keep working and selling what you do and why though? Like, what? Why? What keeps you going? What? What? I, I guess drives you to maintain that attitude of, well, I've just got to keep going, rather than. So I've got three kids. We've got. I've got <laughs> to feed them. And look, you know, the thing is, is that you know, I'm I'm also incredibly lucky because we were when we took over the business, we were in this shitty warehouse that in summer was so hot. I, I was interviewing people in shorts and a singlet and in winter I'd be wearing thermal underwear, you know, um, polar fleece, tops and jackets, gloves sitting at my office and we didn't have enough room because it wasn't that big so we were renting out in, in Brooklyn this warehouse, you know, bits of like a shared warehouse. Mm-hmm. We bought a ute to go back and forward and back and forward and we needed somewhere to go to and I kept trying to find somewhere and in the middle of the GFC, um, a building that no one wanted that was empty came up and we put a house on the line and we bought it. Now, everyone went, you know, that's like madness. Like how can you buy a building when like, you know, no one wants the building. Well, that's the thing is, is because no one wanted it, we were able to get it for half what it had been because someone was trying to build two five-storey office buildings on the site. So we were able to buy 
the building to put our business in. And in fact, there were two buildings involved and I tried to get everyone else to buy the other one and couldn't in the end and our accountant structured in such a way that we could, you know, buy both of them. But I didn't sleep for three months and I did the whole, we did the whole renovation ourselves. So, you know, like for nine straight days I was on a scissor lift, you know, eight metres up in the air with an airless spray gun, spraying the the uh, asbestos roof in the warehouse um, white. Now, we sprayed it white because all of the lights that were in the warehouse weren't very bright and it's a sawtooth roof. Yep. So from 7 a.m. till 5 p.m., enough light came in, bounced off the white, and you didn't need lighting in there. So you're saving on electricity, did the work ourselves. So we saved, I don't know, like um, I don't even want to go to how much we saved by doing that work ourselves. And I used a craftsman to create the, you know, the work inside to build a space where, you know, we we used steel rods because he's really good at this sort of stuff, Built used these steel um, frames that attached onto the rest of it, mm. plasterboard with insulation inside and insulated the roof. So all of a sudden, the first year wasn't very hot. We didn't even need to run an air conditioning or heating system. So you went from a building with a tin roof that was really unpleasant to work in, both in summer and winter, to a place where it became a, a clean room. Now, the thing is, is that that building has gone up, or this building that I'm seeing has gone up in value significantly. So I also see the role of the business. It's not just to make money. It's also it's to pay the bills to enable us to have superannuation when we retire and to keep us eating. Mm. You know, I did job like you learn when you're young that you do jobs, and I used to do you know, I, 25 years ago, I did pop-up shops and things like that. But you might do a job where you get paid some money and you take that money and you go to the Italian supermarket and you buy enough dry goods, canned tomatoes and canelli beans and pasta and all of that <laughs> to fill your pantry so you didn't actually have to leave the house for three months if you didn't earn any more money because you were waiting for another check to come in. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it meant that yes, there were periods where you didn't, you couldn't go out drinking or partying with friends or whatever, but you could survive. It's like, so that. That's the key lesson I think that when you're running a business is you've got to make sure cash is king, and if you don't have enough, it's like oxygen for the business. If you don't have enough oxygen, the business will die. So you've got to make sure that you're not going out and buying yourself, you know, uh, you know, a brand new BMW because you got a really good contract because that will absolutely kill you. So, you know, I've got a habit of buying Euro trash cars. That, <laughs> I was going to say, mate, are you speaking from experience here? I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> I buy cars, you know, that are, you know, three years old, that have depreciated 70%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That no one wants and, you know, that, that that will keep you going rather than, oh, 
yeah, I've got to buy a new car because I've got to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's almost as though we've lost some of those skills. You know, you talk about stocking the pantry um, when you have a good week <clears throat> uh, and basically putting some aside for just in case. Uh, I mean, that can obviously swing too far the other way, but I just see so many people in business that almost assume that things are going to continue the way they are. No, and I always assume, like the thing is, is my job really is to is mitigating risk. Mm. I've got to look at what, what is the risk, what happens if, okay, what happens if the economy goes to shit? What does that mean? Like do I have so much debt that I can't afford to pay the bills and I'm going to lose my assets? Mm. So you've got to be really careful about those sorts of things and you've got to be careful that, well, you know, if – you know, what happens if the government changes the law all of a sudden? Mm. You know, things like, I mean, we're not in the position at the moment that someone like a an Uber and taxi license holders are, but those things are happening all the time now. Mm. And you've got to be aware that those risks are out there and often they've got nothing to do with you. Yeah, you can't control them, but it's your responsibility to deal with the fallout from them. Yeah, you've got to deal with the fallout. You've got to deal with the staff you're looking after. You know, we've got two dozen families that we're supporting. Mm. You can't allow you, – you've got to care for them. Mm. You've got to make sure that they're eating every week. So I wanted to ask you, Michael, about – because, you know, you've, you've mentioned a few times about Australian-made, you know, family company. It sounds like you're probably not the cheapest – um, player in your market? No, but we're certainly not the most expensive. Sure. And in fact, people think that we should charge more for our mm, products. Interesting. Yeah, okay. So maybe a rate rise coming in the not-too-distant future. But uh, but I, I get feedback from a lot of uh, trade business owners and business owners in general that they they complain about the cowboys coming in and the cheaper operators and you know cheap products from china or cheap labor or whatever it might be or the man you know the the backyard guys that are undercutting their prices and they just can't deal with that stuff um i was curious to know given that you're not you know bargain basement discount in in an industry it would be easy to bring in cheaper products and and sell them underneath you guys do you have a strategy for that? Have you had any experience in dealing with that? Every day. Every day it happens. There's always someone who can offer a cheaper price than you will and does, and you're going to lose. We, we lost a big contract last year. Someone came in at a significantly lower um, cost to us. The service, they just didn't think the service was not. Not going to do it. Now, they're really hard to win those big contracts. Mm. Um, but then we'll have people who, you know, service is great, they love it, and they go, I oh, know we've got a cheaper price, we're leaving. Okay, that really hurts you. And sometimes they come back after a year or two and go, oh, those people couldn't do what they said they could do. And that happens all the time too. So is that is that basically your strategy? It's it's like you stick to your game plan and, you know, someday they'll come back. I mean, they might not as well, but, you know, you're not chopping and changing and trying to compete 
with those cheaper operators? Um, that's what I'd love my game plan to be. However, you have to be realistic and you have to cut your cloth to um, make some things work. So, yes, there are circumstances where you take a lower margin because it's an important client or because you need to be in you need to you need to survive mm. survival is everything for a business if you don't survive you're out the door mm. so you've got to have turnover to keep everything going and there are times where you will have to take a lower margin um in order to keep your doors open you know i got a telephone call yesterday from someone who was telling me that you know, and I won't mention the end, you know, the, the part of the industry, you know, they're saying that they've been going for a couple of decades and they said this last year they've never seen it so bad that they've been so squeezed by margins and they're not being paid in mm. reasonable timelines. And that includes government. The government turns around and says, oh, we always pay on 30 days. It's like, no, you don't. Yeah. So you've got to find something else. Like, you know, I I, I go as regularly as I can within reason to um, a medical device exhibition in Dusseldorf, mm-hmm. which is to walk around it is about 35 kilometres. Crikey. So we're talking about a very serious, and, you know, the, the, all the big players are there with their enormous equipment for hospitals and all of that. Yep. And... I walked past this one particular stand and I looked at something and I thought, that's really interesting. And I started talking to the guy and it turns out what this thing does is it makes oxygen, medical-grade oxygen. And I thought, that's clever. That's a really good thing to do. So you could be in the middle of, you know, and they do, they're in the middle of Afghanistan fighting a war um, and they need to run a hospital, so they make the oxygen. Because if you use a um, a cylinder and a cylinder gets a bullet hole in it, it becomes a missile that will go through anything for a couple of kilometres. Yeah. So I really like these people. They liked me. We got on really well, and nothing really happened. We put in a tender for the defence, and we lost that, which to someone and they never used the equipment and it's still sitting somewhere. <laughs> it oh, doesn't matter. Yep. Yeah, oh, yeah, all of that stuff happens all the time. But, you know, it now, you know, we look after the two LHD ships, which thank you very much for the $1.5 that you contributed to. <laughs> These enormous ships that can have 26 or 27 helicopters on board and the back of the ship opens up and you can put these graders on um, on little boats that can go out. So, for instance, when there's a, a tsunami or a major event somewhere, they can – and they run a 54-bed hospital on board. So they can use the helicopters to ferry injured onto the ship. They can build new roads if the roads have been destroyed by an earthquake or a tsunami or something like that. And we look after the – oxygen generation equipment on board these two ships. And it's really interesting. I bet. Everyone said to me 
in the business, it's like we don't understand what you're doing. Why, why are we doing this? This isn't really first aid. This is not the focus of the business. And I'm like, well, it's interesting. And it also sounds like something where there's less competition, there's, there's less price pressure. So, you know, you're talking before about sometimes you've just got to cut your cloth to, to survive. And, and I think it's where a lot of business owners struggle is they're, they're being put under pressure by cheaper operators or people who are willing to buy customers and buy business. And so they, it becomes a race to the bottom. And I guess my, my question for you, Michael, is how do you avoid getting caught up in that race to the bottom where ultimately, you know, that can send you to the wall because squeezing margins means squeezing profits and then cash the flow. The dream and- is always to have the market or the technology to yourself. So you try and, you know, like this one, I'm the so-called distributor for Australia and New Zealand. Um you know, I bring them out every 18 months to do training and we all get on really well and we have really, you know, we enjoy each other's company. They, mm. This is all the people in the company. They're not a big company. I think they've got maybe 70 people, um, turnover about 35 million euros. Um, they're, just, they're nice people. They do a really good job and basically defence or the Navy can't go to anyone else because I'm the only one who can look after them. Mm. So, you know, does it matter if they pay, you know, $1,000 or $1,100 for something? Not really because we're making sure that this it works and we do our darndest to make sure they've got the product on time and it's looked after given that, you know, and we work with other people within that network. Um, mm. So obviously that's different, but I'm the only one in the business who actually does the work on that. Yeah, and I think the lesson for anybody in business is is be very mindful of where you do drop prices and meet the market or meet competitors and at the same time be looking for opportunities to create other niches or specialties or, you know, cement other relationships that are going to, you know, protect margins in those areas. Like you have to be looking across the board at the overall health of the business and and making those decisions from a a longer-term point of view. But also realise that, someone is going to disrupt your business with technology. Yeah. It, it's going to happen. Now, it may not happen with some of your smaller customers because they can't afford it, but definitely, you know, corporate Australia and the big players are going to have their model disrupted. I mean, look look what's happened to retail. Yeah. You know, retail, the retailers were the behemoths yeah. in Australia, you know, the the all of them. Yep. And they became really arrogant and they're being squeezed now and they're being squeezed not just by, you know, Amazon and online suppliers, but they're being squeezed by overseas suppliers, uh, overseas companies that can come in and they've got global mm. purchasing. Well, look at Costco. really... It's becoming really tough and people are getting rid of employees and the number of companies that are shutting their doors 
is astounding. Mm. So it begs the question then, Michael, uh, where to for Brenniston? Like what's what's on the horizon for you guys? Um, we are trying to work with some new technology and I'd love to be able to tell you about it. Um, <laughs> but you'd have to kill me. Uh, yeah, basically. <laughs> um, been working on it for four years now and we're – all I can say is watch this space um, because that is where the future um, of um, part of this industry is going and it's not just about the the products, it's also about the information, about changing the way in which workplace and work practices um, are conducted mm. because what we're, what we're seeing is, is that... Um, you know, Australians really have always had this attitude of she'll be right, but I think that that is now finally starting to change um, and you're seeing that in the building industry and there's a lot of fight back between, the, you know, the unions and, and you know, some of the um, uh, government trying to change that but yeah. it, those practices have saved lives and mm. that will flow through right across industry because if you, you know that that Australians actually are considered now um, pretty good at OHS yeah, okay. and they're employed in um, you know major projects in other parts of the world. Um, mm. And that part of that is weeding out the cowboys. Yep, yep. And so I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about tradies in business uh, on the Tradies Business Show on a, on a regular basis. What are some of the things that I suppose you've seen in your travels uh, at a business level that people need to, to be mindful of? Like, like are there some big mistakes that people make or oversights that they're making in their trade businesses? Um, I, I have done lots and lots of jobs, and at one point um, I, I'd, I'd done some building work and, you know, did some renovations to my house and I helped someone else pull apart a wool store for the timber and um, I wanted to build a, an apartment, like a studio, on top of my garage. So I thought, okay, great, I know someone who's building some room, like bedrooms, on top of a garage. I'll go and work for him for to see how, like, it's done out in the real world, not just me going, oh, I can do it like this. And, yeah, yeah. You know, do that. And I went to work for him, and I remember there was one particular day where um, the garage door, they'd pulled the, the springs off it, and the thing came crashing down on my shoulder and, you know, damaged you know, it hurt, but it missed my head. And the thing is, is that on building sites, now they have rules. Like you can't go on a, a building site without um, mm. people having hearing tests. You know, they've got to have trauma kits. So we created trauma kits for builders and tradies years ago. We created a tradie kit, which I'm very happy to, um, if you want to run some sort of competition um, 
I'm I sure we can figure press, something out, mate. <laughs> of a, a tradie kit. Um, because the thing is, is tradies hurt themselves all the time. Mm. It's mate, a, you, know, you shoot yourself with a nail gun or <laughs> smash your thumb with a with a hammer or it, you know, whatever it is, you you even if you're really careful, mm. you are going to cause yourself some injury. Oh yeah, humans. And you need some form of first aid. And most of the time, a kit that's got burn products and bandages and all of that sort of stuff in it will suffice. You don't have to call the ambulance in most minor cases. Yeah. Um, but you do need to have an insurance policy in the back of the ute and you don't really necessarily need a, you know, a metal box with lots of stuff in it. You can get away with a soft kit that if it gets a bit dirty, it doesn't matter and it's zipped up and all the stuff inside still has integrity mm. within it. And the other thing is, is that's happened in the industry is that um, probably 15 years ago, um, a company called Burnaid stopped doing things in little bottles and tubes and they put them in little single-use sachets. So you just have a box with half a dozen sachets in it and you pull it open and you can put the burn treatment on you or the big 10 by 10 kind of thing and you just put it on and that fixes the problem and there's no, mm. you know, you're not sharing blood and yep. bodily fluids with someone else. So, you know, there are technologies that are out there and tradies can use this sort of stuff. It lasts five years. So there, there are things that you can do that can protect yourself that aren't, you know, like really expensive and really um, prohibitive. Yeah. Uh, but you've got to realise that, yeah, something bad is going to happen, um, even if it's you witness a traffic accident mm. and there's a shitload of those out there at the moment because you know our roads are just appalling there's no infrastructure and you know it takes people an hour and a half to get to and from work or get across town to get to a job yeah. and people will do they'll run red lights or whatever and there's going to be accidents and by you having a first aid kit even if someone's in shock you can wrap them in a thermal blanket mm. and maybe give them some form of, what's the word, suka or mm -hmm. I can't think what the word is, yep. to, to make them feel better. Yeah. Um, or, you know, they've broken an arm to wrap them in a triangular bandage easily so that, you know, they're okay till the ambulance turns up. Yeah, and it's it's. Uh, I wonder how many tradies have a first aid kit, up to date first aid kit in all of their vehicles that are rattling around on the roads. I, I think that there's a very high percentage. I think there's a lot of them do. Um, you know, we supply a lot of them, mm, mm. so you know they're pretty popular. Um, so, mate, uh, I, I want a, a couple more questions or, or lines of questioning before we we do wrap it up because uh, I know you've got to get off to a, a function this evening. Uh, you work with your wife, Pia? Yep. How does that go? Um, <laughs> uh, I knew you'd probably ask me that question. 
and I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I'm asking is is a lot of tradies work with their partners, and the the stereotypical roles is you know the guys on the tools, um, talking to customers, sales, that sort of things, and the woman, rightly or wrongly, is doing the admin, the bookwork, keeping the office running, keeping the home running. I think the women do more of the work a lot of the time. But, uh, you know, I've seen over the years a bit of tension uh, and, you know, a lot of partners do work well together, but there seems to be a lot of challenges in uh, in husbands and wives working together in business especially. So was curious to get your uh, your insights on that, Michael. The question is, is, is she going to listen to this podcast? I could see the, the cogs turning, mate. It's like, I wonder it's if she's really going to listen to this. question. Look, <laughs> I, you know, we've been together for, you know, 20-something years and we do have a good partnership and we effectively do very different things within the business. Like she's the creative director. She doesn't do admin. She doesn't... Um, uh, do you know do any accounts or anything like that? Her role is to write everything that comes out of the business, and she's very very good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, a weekly meeting where we actually work with someone from outside the business that I've worked with for more than thirty years, and we discuss things like our branding, things like our taglines how we're going to handle our website, how we're going to do all of this sort of work. I cop, you know, quite a bit of flack because, you know, I, I just to give you an example, I put in, um, we, we had a queue to use the women's toilet because we only had one toilet mm-hmm. and the men's toilet were pissed off because there was only one toilet and someone would be on it and someone wanted to piss. And so I, I, orga- I reorganised the toilet so I put in another toilet. So the women had two toilets and I put in a urinal um, so the men, if one was in the shitter, yep. the man could, you know, yep. someone else could use the. And I put undercoat in the women's toilet uh-huh. and then I kind of got busy. And I did the undercoat with my son, who's like 14 and really has no idea about painting. And it sort of turned into this whole thing that, you know, no, you're not doing it anymore. You've got more important things to do. And it was like, well, okay, we will go and get a painter. But, you know, the price came out. (laughs) Ridiculous! It was like over ten grand. And you painted your own ceiling in your uh, in your building, mate. So yeah, why so, get a painter? So eventually, it came to a point where, after like, no, you're not allowed to paint it. To I'll paint it, and I painted it, and I got the guy who built a lot of the stuff for us helped me with one of the rooms, and I still have to finish the floor in the hallway because that's become scuffed now after eight or nine years. So I've got to do that. But the last few weeks, every time I go to do it, you know, like it was 40 degrees or, you know, I was busy, I had something on and, you know, you can't. So, but that's just an example. Like there's there's always conflict in a um, 
in a working partnership, there's always conflict in a marriage. The reality and my belief is that we always marry the wrong person. What, we should have married ourselves? Well, you can't. (laughs) Not yet. We always marry the wrong person. The question is, is whether a marriage is going to last or a partnership is going to last is how well you fight. So you've got to be, firstly, you've got to be prepared to engage in the discussion. You can't just, like, go off in a half, which, you know, men traditionally tend to do, is like, I'm not talking, I'm not going to say a word. You have to be prepared to engage. And then you have to be prepared to fight fair. So you can't throw abuse or attack them personally. You can only fight about the issue. And, you know, we're not perfect, but we try. She's much better at it than I am. Um, As women tend to be. Uh, And I I don't mean women are better at arguing (laughs) for all the lady listeners out there. Uh, So did you guys have or do you have a a spoken agreement, like some rules of engagement around that, or is it just sort of uh, evolved? We don't don't have any rules of engagement at all. It's just a symbiotic relationship, mate. It's just the way it's worked. I'm good at some things and she's good at the things she's good at and you really should try and keep those... Separate, and I think that's that's the key lesson, Michael, is uh, accepting what you are good at and not, and and yeah, that division between the roles, or not division, but uh, delineation between the roles is really I think important. The, the, the key lesson that I've started to implement is that I'm not really very good at running a business, and I'm not really good at day to day. So you've got to find people who can do that and do that really well. Um, in terms of how that works in the home is that I work from home on my own things on a Wednesday and part of Wednesday is, is my job is to, you know, take the dog out, get dinner ready, make sure the house is under control and so Pierre can come home from work on a Wednesday and everything is, you know, done and ready so that she's got a break from Thinking about, you know, even because mm. sometimes you get sick of thinking about what you're going to have for dinner. Yeah, it's not even about the making of it because that's just the mechanics of it. It's like, you know, what are we going to have? And we've got problems in our house because we've got, you know, one pescatarian, one who's vegetarian but has decided to go dairy free, so she's not completely vegan yet. So you've got like. Or, you know, some days it's five different meals that's just insane to live your life like that. <laughs> um, and those things really try you. Yeah. The simple stuff, isn't it, sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Go on. I was just going to say, uh, so do you have nominated roles in the business? Like do you have a title or a position description? Uh, when we first started the business, I was given the title of managing director mm-hmm. um, and Pierre was looking after all the purchasing at the time because she'd been a production manager in, you know, on film and in, you know, like the ABC studios. Then she had our daughter and we employed someone and then 
she came back into the business and then she had our older son and then came back into the business, you know, left the business, then came back into the business. Then she went and did a postgraduate um, degree diploma in professional writing and editing. And then after she was finished with that, it um, she was looking at what she was going to do, um, started doing some um, work with other people. And I said, look, you know, we, we, we need you. you. You have to come in and work. Like I can't do any of the stuff that you're really good at. And so she's been back for, you know, quite a number of years now. And, you know, I couldn't do it without her. She couldn't do it without me, even though I'm trying to suggest that maybe, you know, like I should like just leave the business to go fishing or something. <laughs> but, but that's um, that's not a real um, option. Go work on the golf game, mate. <laughs> uh, I don't golf, but I do swim. There you um, go. Yeah, well, but you can you can get a K or fifteen hundred in you know either early in the morning or on the way home. So that's not really um, you know. You need to find another hobby so you've got a reason to uh, to not work so much, mate. <laughs> uh, look, I'm I'm reasonably balanced with the Wednesdays off, and I think that's quite a good um, quite a good option. And she doesn't come in on a Friday, hmm. so. Um, that's working reasonably well. But, you know, obviously as a business we'd like to grow, but the reason we want to grow is we want to employ more good people and they mm. cost money. Mm. So in order to get bigger you get more costs, but those costs are that you're able to employ really good people that they can run it. So it doesn't mean that you're going to earn all of this more money no it's... but it, what it means is that you've got um you know less day-to-day -day responsibility and you can actually make it more stable and more um you know that it's going to be something that's going to last long beyond you know your involvement whether it's you've sold it or whatever yeah. it's creating that um, business legacy yeah Nice, mate. Well, certainly sounds like uh, you've learned some of the tough lessons along the way. So, uh, you know, picking up a business that was broke and moving into a building nobody wanted. Uh, there's a bit of a theme going on there, Michael, but uh, it appears to be working out well for you. So, <laughs> Yeah, you got you got to make it work. Mm. And that's the thing is you've just got to make it work somehow. Um, and when it doesn't, I guess you just got to move on to the next one. I, I think what was what I found interesting about listening to your podcast with the the painter who was desperately trying to get off the tools. Mm. Um, he really had the gift of the gab, so he could go out and sell and then learn how to manage his team. I imagine for a lot of tradies, they have no interest whatsoever in going out and selling. They just want the work to come by word of mouth only and they only want to work for really nice people who are going to pay them yep. and yeah it, the thing is is it, the world doesn't work that way that's not reality um, in most cases 
and and you've really got to face some of your fears like if you really don't want to go out and sell then don't think that you can start a business because even if you're you know if you're not very good at it it doesn't mean that you can't do it no but it is one of the hardest roles in a business to outsource and one of the most expensive is to outsource the sales you can't outsource it it's it's too hard because someone who outsources it and turns out to be really really good at it they go oh i can just set this up and go and do the same thing and that's you know we ended up buying back a business that the guy had left the business long before we came into it 30 more than 30 almost 35 years ago and we ended up buying that business back when he wanted to retire, and that's exactly what he did. So you've got to be very careful. You've got to be close to your customers, but you've got to maintain the quality of the work. You've got to make sure the work gets done. You've got to look after your staff. You've got to make sure you're getting paid. You know, All of these things are part of the process, but you've also got to realise that you know, you can only wear one pair of underpants a day. You can only drive one car at a time. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to be the richest guy in the cemetery. Mm-hmm. you just got to pay your bills. I think it's a, it's such a great lesson, Michael. And, uh, you know, we mentioned Mark Manson's book earlier, and, and there's some similar messages in that around, uh, you know, a guest that I interviewed this morning um, for the show is how much is enough? And I think yeah, getting, is, getting clarity you, around that is, you know, is very free. Working four hours a day. You know, I, I, and I really liked his other book where he went out and interviewed all people on what their thing was. Like, what was it about them that is what it was? Tools of Titans. Yeah. What is it that they've done that is, um, you know, that they're passionate about? And it's they've been able to distill their passion. And I guess mine is ideas. It's like, how do you take an idea? How do you develop it? How do you work out why that idea is going to work and another idea is not? And I know that from my experience, it's, you know, I kept trying ideas and the ones that kept failing, actually thinking about why they failed versus the ones that worked really well. Mm. Um, But that notion of being able to distill that to a point where you become really, really good at it, better than anybody else at that and not being an asshole, because mm. that's another rule that you've got to have in your business. You've got to have the no assholes policy. <laughs> you really don't want assholes in your business. No, it's not, it's not very good for business, mate. Oh, it doesn't matter whether it's good for business. They could be really good for your business and they could you know, make you lots of money, but you know, like it's not good for your soul. That's what, um, that's what I mean. It's long-term. Yeah. It's not sustainable. Long-term, it's just like, fuck off. <laughs> just, you don't need that yeah, in yeah. your life. So it's how do you work out what are the things that really make you happy Yeah. and how do you develop those? Like, you know, I never thought, like I came to children very late. Like I was 41 when I had my first child. And I never thought that having kids would be such a blast. <laughs> and I've got, you know, three teenagers now. My God, they are so much fun. Like they're interested in so many interesting things about have, the world. You can have real conversations with them. 
you can have real conversations. You go, oh, look, I read this amazing book. You should read this one. And they go, oh, that was really good. That was a bit out there. <laughs> and then they ask you questions about your life and stuff you've done. And some questions are, you know, quite, you know, you're not sure that you actually want to answer them as honestly as. Yeah. Um, Save that for when they're 35. Sorry? Save that for when they're 35. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know, it's like my theories of alcohol and, you know, kids, when should someone drink? And, you know, like they're allowed legally to drink at 18, but, you know, they really shouldn't be drinking before 25 and there are no known benefits before the age of 45. <laughs> and after that, it's about helping you get through life. <laughs> What's that? And after that, it's about helping you get through life, is it? Exactly. <laughs> yes, I'm feeling that at the moment because I decided to do Fed fast. Yeah, right. So only 13 days to go. So is that uh, no alcohol or no food as well? No alcohol. Just no alcohol. Yeah, right. Um, and, and I'm sure it's really good for me. <laughs> the jury's out, <laughs> is it, Michael? But I'm really not enjoying it particularly. <laughs> I, do, I, I miss it. I miss, you know, I miss that glass of wine and I miss a beer and I miss, you know, a spirit when you go meet your mates or whatever, particularly the beer. I think beer is – but, yeah, like when you're at home preparing the dinner, you, you, I think you need a glass of wine and you need one while you're eating it. Um, but, one, you know, you've got to prove that you can do without it. I think uh, I think you just won the hearts of 95% of my listeners, mate. <laughs> drinking before well, dinner, I've, during I've, dinner. I've and who really, really like drinking mm. and they – they've now to prove that they're not alcoholics to their wives <laughs> to their wives yeah mainly to their wives and perhaps to themselves they've gone right on wednesday nights i don't drink just wednesday so, okay yep so that they have at least one afd a week mm. um that i think that proves it it proves the point Spoken like, well, actually, I heard I heard a good, uh, uh, I don't know if it was a joke or what, but um, it's like, I'm not an alcoholic. Alcoholics go to meetings and I don't go to meetings. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, look, mate, we I reckon we could probably solve most of the world's problems and uh, and probably next month over a beer, you'd solve even more. But um, From the 1st of March. Yeah, yeah. So, but but rather than uh, than us continue on, uh, there is one more question I want to ask before we wrap this up, Michael. And, yep. And I ask just about all of my guests this question: Is if you had a thousand tradies in a room, what's one piece of advice you would like to leave them with? Um, th there's a couple actually, like there's a few rules. Yeah. And the first rule is probably. Don't shit in your nest. Mm -hmm. So don't shit where you eat. Like that's you. you, you that's important. Um, don't ever touch the trust fund. Mm -hmm. There's a fine line between borrowing and stealing. Mm -hmm. um, no good will ever come from long-term cocaine use. <laughs> okay. 
Um, uh, I think th there's been a number of different versions of it. Uh, I'll do the one that's probably okay for radio, which is uh, beer before spirits, you'll never be sicker. Um, beer after, no, what is it? Beer before liquor, you'll never be sicker. Liquor before beer, something, you know, you'll be fine. Before, whatever it is, so, so like one one, mm. I think this was God's way of not letting you wake up naked on your next door neighbor's front lawn. <laughs> Fortunately, I haven't done that. I've, I have woken up on a few lawns, but not naked. So yeah, and and the other one is is you teach your children no whinging. Yeah, There's serious a serious one thrown in there. Yeah, um, why not? But but I think that the 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 first one, which is don't shit in your nest, it's you've got to realise that if you're doing something, you're in it for the long term, and doing things in the short term will always come back to bite you, mm. and they always do. Mm. You think they won't, but they do. And it's and it's an affliction of of our time is people are doing so much for short term gratification without considering the long-term consequences. Absolutely. Well, maybe that's just my cranky old man view of the world, but, you know, it seems we're also focused on the now and the quick and the get it to me today and I'm not prepared to wait. And it's, it's, life doesn't work like that. As you've said throughout this interview, mate, it's hard work. you just got to keep putting in and you've got to keep going. You've got to be consistent. You've got to be persistent. you just got to keep doing and you've got to keep working. I mean, I don't, you know, necessarily ever see myself like completely retiring from work. Mm. It'll just be a different sort of work. Yeah, yeah, it changes. It, it changes. I mean, someone once said that the the two greatest addictions in the world are a paycheck and opioids. <laughs> mm. um, that you you a, a paycheck is very short term. So. For tradies to become your own boss is a really good dream, but you've got to be careful that you think about all these other things that you have to do to make sure that you're going to survive not just this week, next week, next month, but for the next, you know, till you're 65 or 70. Yeah. Yeah, it's a future-present cycle. Well... I think I can't remember this, Tim Ferriss. Someone else said that the 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 thing that you want to do is to imagine that you're an old version of yourself. So like imagine that you're eighty years old. What advice would you give yourself as the age that you are now? Maybe drink less beer might be on that list, Michael. No, probably not. <laughs> Better quality beer. <laughs> mix mix it up with some really nice Shiraz, perhaps. And some good and spirits maybe... before bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, I think we've just laid bare your strategy for life success. 
Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have to say, mate, that time went very quickly. I very much enjoyed our uh, our chat. And excellent, so did I. And there's been some great truth bombs and pearls of wisdom in there, Michael. So uh, <laughs> I, what I, what I'll do is I'll send you back the episode, and I reckon your book. Is, is within this uh, last hour's chat, mate. Uh, so feel free to uh, transcribe that. But, uh, mate, um, if if listeners want to find out more about about your business and about Brenniston, uh, what's the best way to do that? Uh, Brenniston.com.au, so B-R-E-N-N-I-S-T-O-N.com.au. And, yeah, I'm really happy to donate a... Um, uh, tradie first aid kit to the competition of your choice. So um, I'll leave it to you to be really creative with um, what you think would be the the thing that a tradie really needs to do to win insurance <laughs> for their business. I'm sure you'll come up with something out of the box. I'm sure we can, mate, and maybe I can get some advice from uh, from Pia, the creative mastermind in your business too by the sounds of it but uh, no that'd be awesome mate we'll give away one of your number for her is 039823 you can ring her up and go Michael said that you would come up with a really good idea for da 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 so yeah 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 I would definitely not do that mate feel (laughs) free if I've learnt one thing in life it's not to drop women in it so uh, yeah yeah exactly they don't like being put on the spot First rule that don't shoot in there. <laughs> exactly. And it's not worth it. True words, mate. True words. Safety yeah. first. Happy life, happy life. All of that. Absolutely. Well, mate. Uh, Thank you very much for your time. My absolute pleasure, Michael. Great chatting with you. And uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll come up with some amazing competition for uh, for people to win a tradie pack, mate. So. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Take care and good luck. Cheers. So there you go. Finished with a bang. Uh, I'm not going to prattle on too much. Probably did enough of that with Michael. Uh, <laughs> some words of wisdom at the end there. Happy wife, happy life. What do you think about that, tradie wives? Is that, is that actually true? Anyway, I'm not going to open any big philosophical discussions here. Competition time. How can you win an $83 plus tradie and mobile safety kit? So this is a first aid kit. It's stocked up with all the things you need for uh you know hitting yourself with the grinder or smashing your thumb with a hammer uh maybe jamming your uh your foot in a step ladder i don't know i can't think of all the accidents that happen on site and these days of safety one of the things that you really need to have is a kit in case things go wrong i recently um hacked open the back of my finger with a hatchet yeah don't ask um and i had some first aid gear on hand so definitely made things <laughs> better in the long run so the way you can win one of these kits well the kit that uh, we're giving away here at the tradies business show some simple steps i'm going to break it down for you step one follow tradies business show on facebook you should have done that ages ago be disappointed if you haven't already and follow or like or whatever the, the terminology is Brenniston First Aid, B-R-E-N-N-I-S-T-O-N, First Aid, on Facebook. And then on either one of those pages, I'm not going to make you do both, tag a mate who really should be carrying one of these kits around. (laughs) Maybe someone who's a bit accident-prone or uh, clumsy or just a bit of a worry. Maybe they drive the uh, the company ute like a lunatic 
and should be carrying a first aid kit. Or maybe they're just a do-gooder. Not a do-gooder, that's terrible. Maybe they're just very helpful. Uh, maybe they're a first aider themselves. Anyway, uh, go like our pages, Trades Business Show, Brenniston First Aid, tag a mate. And you know what? If you tag more than one friend, I'll give you more than one entry. So you've probably got 500 friends in your address book. Just go tag them all and you'll win the kit. (laughs) Anyway, get on it. Uh, Thanks for listening. Hope you have a safe week ahead. And I look forward to bringing you more episodes of the Tradies Business Show real soon. Hooroo. You've been listening to the Tradies Business Show with Warwick Bidwell. Want to get off the tools into true business ownership? Find out how at tradiesbusinessshow.com.